Um, so as you were coming in, there was the possibility that you saw a handout there. And if you, if you would like, you can follow along using the handout. There will be notes on the screen. Also going to be notes available in your uh, handheld uh, device. If you have a smartphone, you can log on to the free app called Uversion. In the bottom corner, there's a tab called More. Click on More. It'll bring up a list. You're looking for events that are in the local area. And you'll find into one there. You can follow along in that. It'll provide you with some announcements. It'll also provide you with a, a link if you would prefer to give online. It'll give you a link to do that. Otherwise, there's a box at the back that you can put your offering in if you would like to. There are envelopes there to make sure that your tax receipted. Um, yeah, those are the different ways that we're going to uh, do this. So um, let's move along. And the first thing I want to remind you, you probably already know this, although we have a tendency to sort of forget it as we go. As Christians, we believe a lot of weird stuff. For someone on the outside to look at what we say we believe, they'd say that's some really odd things. And one of the things that we believe that makes people feel weird, we believe that God came down and God became one of us. That's a big thing for us. Now, depending on where you, where you have grown up, you might have heard about it all the time. Maybe they said it regularly, but it doesn't stop it from being a really wild, weird thing to believe. The Apostle John, he got into explaining, explaining this for us. The Apostle John, he was one of Jesus' close friends on earth. He picked out a group of 12 guys and said, I'm investing in you. And those people we call disciples, and sometimes we call them apostles. So we're looking at the Apostle John. John, in this case, you need to understand, he's not just one of the insiders. John is an insider because he was an eyewitness. He was there. He experienced the whole thing. He lived right in the middle of the whole story. One of the reasons that helps us to believe uh, in the Bible and all those weird things that the Bible says is because the stories are being told by eyewitnesses, people who were there, people who this happened to. They tell us their own stories. That's one of the reasons why the Gospels don't all sound the same. They're told from the perspective of different people. John followed Jesus through his ministry and he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And then... He saw Jesus crucified. And then he kind of thought, mm, not the Son of God. Because you can't crucify God, right? I thought this is the way it was. Then he was live and he was on location. He was right there on resurrection day. He searched through that empty tomb. And now he's back to the position, Son of God. And then... Because of what had happened, he started to tell people about it. And he told a lot of people. So much that the Roman emperor, Domitian, got sick and tired of him. Because everywhere that John went, people became Christians. So he thinks, maybe I should put John to death. But then over time, what you started to notice was that when you killed a regular Christian, it would seem that ten more became Christians. And John... Now, he was no ordinary guy. He was a close friend of Jesus. He had extra credibility. He had extra street cred. And people listened to him even more. So instead, 
the emperor took John and relocated him to the island of Patmos. We have a photo of him. This is his profile pic from his Facebook page. Here's John on the island of Patmos. And so what you can see there is John. And he's hashtagging the Moses look, bringing back the holy. That's what it looks like when you're holy. So if you want to get yourself like that, that's what it'll look like. We know that John wrote the gospel of John. But he also wrote three other books. And he called them very creatively. First John. Second John. You know what? Third John. Brilliant guy. Brilliant guy with titling. And then he wrote also the book of Revelation. And he had no idea how many people were going to steal his stuff and make them into movies from that book. John summarized the life of Jesus. And he compressed it in a number of spots right down to a little phrase. There's whole books that explain it. But every once in a while, he'll give you one sentence that just tells you the whole story. And so he summarized what he had seen, what he had heard, what he'd been a part of. And here's what he tells us in John chapter 1. Verse 14, I'm going to use the NASB for this verse here. And the Word, that means Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt. Dwelt is an important word there because it means camped out. It means tabernacled. It means He came where we were and He pitched His tent. That's what it means. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw. Now this is not you. When it says we, sometimes when we read the Bible we say, well that means me, right? This is not us. This is not you. We are not figuratively included in this. We saw. Well, who was there? Who saw this? Think about it. Um, Matthew was there. And John was there, and Simon Peter was there, and James was there. All of those apostle, disciple boys that were, were, were preaching and were writing these letters and writing these gospels, all of those guys were there. And we saw, they saw with their own eyes, they saw his glory, his, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And that's one of my favorite verses. It's very, very helpful guiding. And what are we supposed to be like? We're full of grace and full of truth. And when we get into problems, it's because we tend to favor one or the other. In balance, full of grace and truth. That's how we're supposed to be, like Jesus. So John is writing it down. He's remembering it before it's too late. He says, my time is ending. Other people need to know what I know. And I'm not going to be able to tell them face to face like I used to. I'm locked up here on the island. I don't get out like I used to get out. I've got to write it down. So he's writing down this summary. The three years that he was with Jesus. The three years that he was close to close, uh, close, close face to face, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. And he tells us that God showed up in a body and he dwelt among us. That's what John says. But what if that's true? What if that really happened? What if John's right? What if Peter's right? What if James, the brother of Jesus, is right? I'm pretty sure if you were getting this story from my brother, the view of what my childhood is like is different than the story that I would tell you. So that's the question we're looking at it. We're going to look at it for the next couple of weeks. Assuming that happened, why? Why did it happen? Why in the world did he come as one of us and live as one of us among us? Why? Nobody was expecting this. This was not foretold clearly 
<laughs> Some Jewish people were expecting the Messiah, but no one was expecting the Messiah to be coming along to be with the people. In all of the ancient religions, and in most of the, the modern ones too, no one ever thought of God coming down to you. The whole goal was that everyone was trying to move up. We're coming to you, God. Save me a place, because I am working hard. I'm getting the clothes. I'm doing the things. I'm doing what you want. I'm saying your words. Pretty soon, I'm going to get up to where you are. This is the way so many of us view religion. And we still kind of think like this in most of our life. And so it reminds me of this song right now. Did, did anyone ever see that show? Was that, was that the only one? Man, that's, that song tells the story of the way we think about, the way we relate to God. When things get good, I'll move up. And this is the way it was. Pharaoh, all the pharaohs, they figured out, hey, things work better if I'm God. Who better to tell me that I'm God than me? And if I can tell me I'm God, then I can tell you that I'm God. And my goal is to grow up and be God. Moving on up. The Roman emperors, they had the same plan. After Julius Caesar died, Augustus said, you know who Julius was? He was God. Do you know who that makes me? God. And the Roman emperors from then on would say, I'm God. They deified themselves. They told other people, I'm moving on up. Nero wanted to move on up. Nobody expected God to move in our direction. Nobody expected him to show up as a baby. Where's the power in that? Doesn't might make right? You need to establish your authority. You need to establish who's in control. But babies, they're fragile. And babies are vulnerable. Babies are tiny. If we were writing this story about how God came to earth to be with people, we'd set it more like this. It's a cloudy, overcast day. And then there was a piercing light that came through that cloud, pushing the clouds back. Blinding light permeates everything. The ground starts to shake. The buildings tremble. Everybody stops what they're doing. They all put their arm up over their eyes to shield them, but at the same time, they can't look away. Behold, God has arrived, and when he is arriving, he's going to play his theme music, and it's going to be in the background, and we're all going to know that this is going on. Behold! God has arrived! And everyone would know. And everyone would see. And you would be forced into an immediate sort of sense of who this God is and what He's like because of the way He's arrived. If we were writing it, that's what we would do. The thing about the story of Jesus, nobody would make this up. It's a bad story. It's poorly written. 
It's got no splash. It's got no energy to it. Baby shows up, but most people don't even know. But the men that were there, they said, yes, this is how it happened. Unlike anything we ever suspected. He shows up as a baby, born into the home of a menial laborer, a carpenter. He follows his dad into the business and becomes a carpenter himself. From there, he steps out into history and we watched and we listened to him and we were surprised the whole way along. After all that, after all that we saw, after all that we watched, after all that we listened to, we came to the conclusion, the disciples are saying, we came to this conclusion, God came here to dwell among us, to dwell among people. So why? Why did he come? And there's some kind of Sunday school answers that most of us are, yeah, this is why he came. And they're important. Those answers, they're important and they're significant. But there's, there's more. And we want to look at more of the more this time than the quick one, the easy one, the fast ones that just roll off. There's some other things that Jesus came to do besides to come and to simply die for our sins. It's huge. But wait. <laughs> There's still more. We need to dive into the rest of the story. But I don't want to just tell you this stuff. I want us to discover it together. So the first reason that we are going to discover within a conversation that Jesus had, the first reason that we're going to understand why I came is found in a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples at the end of his ministry. So here's the, the setup on this. Jesus had just said, I'm leaving, but don't worry. And if you're like the disciples, if you're like me, you go, wait, what? No, if you leave, we worry. That's how it works. We're not very popular right now. The only reason that we're not dead is because people are afraid of you. You've got that whole miracle thing going on and people don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do, but they don't want to mess with you. If you go, we're on our own. What will we do? We don't know how people leave. If you leave, it's bad. That's just the way it is. And Peter says, all right, well, I'm going wherever you go. And Jesus says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, I'll stand up for you no matter what. And Jesus says, well, Peter, I know you mean well, but it's not going to work out that way. So in this place, in this room, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of uncertainty about what's going on. And all that leads to this conversation where Jesus sort of tips his hand as to one of the reasons why God sent him to live among us. Go to John chapter 14. You can follow it here. You can follow it on your notes. You can follow it on your phone. You can follow it in your own Bible if you want. John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So if, you, if you've read anything that Jesus says before, you know you come across these things. Here it is again. Jesus telling us to do things that we can't actually do. Don't let your heart be troubled. Too late. It's already there. Jesus, it already happened. You just told us you were leaving. So he goes on. You believe in God, don't you? Everybody in the room kind of goes, mm, yeah, yeah, we believe in God. Sure. Believe also in me. Do you see what he just did there? He tied himself right in. This is one of those places, if, if, you, don't, if you don't want to believe, this is a good place to say, okay, I'm not in. This is either ridiculous or true. 
There's really no middle ground. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Now, if you grew up in the church, you might have heard this. You might have gotten used to hearing this in another translation where they use the word instead of rooms, it says mansions. And we, in my father's kingdom, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And frankly, most of us in North America, we prefer that translation. Because as opposed to a room, a mansion sounds better. And yeah, I don't mind the idea of going to heaven to get in a little bit of real estate. I don't mind that whole moving on up kind of feel. I like to get a better place than the one that I've got here. I want to be close with people, but not too close. I like Dorothy. Dorothy's nice, but I don't mind having a little bit of space from Dorothy some of the time. You know what I mean? I don't want to get too close to people. I don't want to be so close to those nosy neighbors that they're ruining all my heaven. We like the idea of the mansion because it separates us. But the more accurate translation is probably rooms, which is really good for togetherness, really good for family, really good for that whole getting into one. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. John writes like this all the time. Really hard to get your head around. Okay, so you're leaving. Then you're going to come back. Then you're going to take us back to where you were before you came back to get us. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's kind of confusing, Jesus. Why would you say it like that? But then he goes on. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. Really? Jesus, seriously? We have no idea what you're talking about. We can't figure out all the different directions. We can't figure out the timeline. We don't know why. Let's just back the train up a little bit, okay? Start over. This is why I don't read the Bible, because it's so confusing, right? Paul does this. John does this. They write, and their sentences don't seem to... They didn't have an editor. They didn't have someone who could say, let's make this more clear. The word for going has to do with the early name that these followers were called. They weren't called Christians, but there was a way to distinguish who they were, and that name, those early Christians, were called followers of the way. That's how they were known. This conversation that Jesus had right here, honestly, he had it so many times and in so many different situations to so many different people. So this description of where he was going and what's going to happen, this was the way that they were known. Followers of the way. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? So here's Thomas, and we all like Thomas in this situation because um, he's like us. Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, please help me. I, I know you. I know what you're talking about, but I can't figure out how this works. And so Jesus answered him, I am the way. So you do know the way because you know me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. I am the way to God. If you really know me, you know my Father. You already know him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's some very relational language there. And it's also very much equating yourself with God language. This is the sort of thing that gets people killed in this world. 
You can't say stuff like that. So Philip, another guy who's kind of like us, Philip sort of raises his hand and he says, okay, Jesus, I got a question. Um, I'm pretty sure you've asked this before, but Philip says, Lord, see if, see if this is not a question that you can think to yourself, right? It's the way that we ask. It's the way that we think. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Okay, Jesus, you're, you're kind of blowing my mind. I can't follow everything that you're saying here. Let's kick it up a notch. I want to believe you. I see you've got a great connection with God. So just show me the Father. Do that, and we're all good. Whatever else you've got to say, I'm good. Just give me that baseline. Let me see the Father. Just show me God. And at some point in your life, you've got to get to this place where you're in that word, and you go, if I just knew for sure... If I just knew for sure that God was active, if I could just see him, if I knew that there was a God for sure, and I knew that that God knew my name, then the whole rest of it is all okay. Just show us the Father. And then Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, is he saying what I think he's saying? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Come a little closer, Philip. Lean in a little bit here into one. This is what Jesus is saying to Philip, and he's saying it to us. I am as close as you will ever get to seeing what God is like. If you want to know the Father, Philip, in this life, I, Jesus, I am as good, I am as close as it gets. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. In other words, you want to know what God says? Listen to me. If you want to know what God says about something, listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. Listen to the way I describe it. You want to know what God would do in that situation, that weird, what do I do? Watch me. This is what Jesus is saying. How would God respond to that? How would God respond to them? What would he do here? You want to know? Watch Jesus. You'll never get a better view about what God is like than Jesus. That's what he's trying to tell them. Do you want to know one of the reasons that God came to earth to dwell among us? Why on earth did he come? One of the key things that he came to do before he came to die for our sins was to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. <coughs> God wants you to know him at such a personal level that he was not to consent uh, not <laughs> content to send simply information. He didn't want to just send letters. He didn't want to just send people to talk about him. He sent himself. Instead of hoping that you would look up or look out and figure it all out, he said, I decided to come down to make sure that it was clear. I didn't want you to be led astray. I didn't want you to stop too soon. I want you to know me. What's God like? He's very relational, and he wants you to know him. 
So Jesus here didn't claim to have the best explanation of God. He claimed to be the best explanation of God. Your best opportunity to know what God is like is to listen to what God said, to listen to what Jesus said, and to watch what Jesus does. And our natural inclination is to try and figure out God by looking in all of the wrong places. We've made a habit of it. We've made skills of it. We look for God in the wrong places. One of the first places that we look to is our circumstances. So we say stuff like this. If, you, if you've been in church, around church, you know church, maybe you even said this yourself. That was such a God moment. Oh, that was totally a God thing. And someone on the outside is saying, well, I know what God is and I know what a thing is, but what is a God thing? Did you just like make that up? What does that mean? And we're constantly trying to piece together events so that we can say, oh, look over here. That must have been God. That must have been what happened. The problem with that is that our ability to interpret circumstances is terrible. We're just not very good at it. And we always do it at a point in time. Everyone's got a story, and it goes something like this. this. This happened, and then that happened, and so I was sure that it was God. And then things changed, and then that other thing changed, and now I don't know if it was God. Have you had that story? That's the way it happens. Over time, the story changes. We do interpretation so poorly, especially when we factor in time. So maybe you can identify with this. If you've ever been a child, and I know you have, start from this, you're the parent of a 17-year-old girl. Let's call her Juanita, just because I like the way that flows. Juanita. Uh, So Juanita comes into the room and she tells you that she is so mad. It's like the worst thing ever. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he would ask me to prom, and he didn't ask me to prom. God doesn't answer prayer. Mom hears this. And she knows, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he wouldn't ask you to prom. And he didn't ask you to prom, therefore God answers prayer. Right? Our circumstances. So which one is it? Which one's right? Fifteen years later, that 17-year-old girl is now 15 years older. And I remember... When I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he was going to ask me to prom and then God didn't answer my prayer. And I'm so glad now that he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted. It's fun and it's interesting to see God in our circumstances, but here's our problem. Unless we get what we want, we think that God doesn't care or that he doesn't answer or that he doesn't listen. God is entirely judged on whether or not I get what I want. Where's the problem in that? Like, it's immediately right there. I just put myself in the place of God. If we are left to figure out God simply by interpreting our circumstances, we're only ever going to get so far before that just kind of breaks down. Well, we keep looking for God in the wrong places. We look to God in our religious traditions. Of course you do. That's what we know, right? You have some beliefs, you have some thoughts about God, and they're kind of just ingrained into you. They've been pressed upon you through time and through other circumstances. And so, if you grew up in a Catholic church, you know what I'm talking about. Not just Catholic churches, lots of churches that are like this. Lots of guidance. 
Guidance when you take a step back that we call rules. Lots of rules. There's lots of other places that have rules for the way things work. Lots of rules. Lots of laws. Lots of guilt. Here's what God likes. Don't do that because God doesn't like that. Here's what He really doesn't like, so you better stay away from that one. Oh my gosh, you do what? We blend so much together into our view of God. We never really checked out how much of that's true and how much we have just heard from somebody who said it? We just believed it. And now we feel pretty attached to it. And the problem, the problem with all religious traditions, including mine, including the one that I'm speaking from, is the traditions systematize. They customize. They overemphasize. And they fossilize. Once we set it up, we can't move along. Now, I'm allowed to say this because I'm inside the system and I'm pointing the finger at me. All right? We want answers, and religious systems help us get answers. They standardize answers. When this happens, that's the answer. Interaction with God, wait for discernment from God, we've saved you the time. We've cut out the middleman. Here's the answer. You don't even have to think about it. Give me some yeses. Give me some noes. Make it clear. The Bible says, tradition teaches, Give me these things that I can know one way or the other for sure. So we create a system that has all the answers. The problem is that life just keeps generating new questions. And we are really scared of saying that we don't know the answer. So we hide it. We keep it vague. We move along to the next question. And the Bible seems to teach more than one thing. And when it does, we say, well, I can't really handle all that right now. Let's emphasize one of them. And every religious system does this. This is a limited way to find out what God is like. You grew up in a system, whatever it was. Whatever your system was, you grew up in one of them. And everything was good, everything was fine with your system until your parents got divorced. Great. Now what do I do with that? So you watch the way people responded to your mom. And you watch the way people responded to your dad. You watch the people who are in church and you watch the people who are out of church. You watch the whole thing and how it was handled. And you came to some conclusions about God and about church. Maybe your little sister, maybe she got pregnant. And then all of a sudden, your church, well, they weren't so sure what to do about that. And you heard things, probably not directly. But you overheard things. You heard whispers. You saw glances. You saw people's responses. And you made some decisions about God and what He was like in those moments. Maybe your brother, maybe he came out to the family and said he was gay. Oh, great. Now what do we do? How do we do what we always do after a change like that? You've already heard what people say about that. But it's not a category anymore. It's not a concept. It's not a topic. It's not a question. This is a person that you know. A person that you love. There is a relationship that pre-existed here. Now what do you do with your religious tradition? And there's tension. And there's indecision. And because of what somebody said, it makes us think that must be the way that God is. It's true for all of us. We get into this. Every single one of us is in the same boat here. We all have stories. We all have experiences with religious traditions. 
You have to pay attention to them. But I want to tell you that there's a better way. There's a better way to understand what God is like. Jesus. Jesus is that better way to understand what it's like. So we continue to look in the wrong places. This is popular in our culture now as well. We call it looking within. The problem with looking within is that within is limited to what is within. There's only so far that it can go. Meditation has its place and it can be helpful. But God is just bigger and more complex and even more mysterious than your within. Here's the other problem. The 16-year-old version of within is different than the 30-year-old version of within. And then there's the 65-year-old edition of within. Which one of them is you? Which one of them is God? Which one of them has the right answer? It's all very limited. We also look to nature. Ah, I can learn all I need to know about God through nature. But the problem with nature is that it's survival of the fittest. Imagine this. You're in an airplane and you're flying over a large city. And maybe, maybe you've just come on a long flight and you're, and you're starting your approach and you can see it. And so you have this feeling of, whew, I'm so glad that we're finally here. But you're flying over the city. And let's just imagine you arrive in the afternoon. So the, the, the city is beautiful. And it's shining, and it's reflecting the sun, and you go, oh my goodness, look at how well laid out the whole thing is. It looks so peaceful and so orderly. But then you land the plane. You get off the plane, and you start walking around on some of those streets, and you find out that frequently those streets are dirty. Sometimes those streets are dangerous. So which is the right view? If you see God just through nature, then which view is accurate? Is it the high view? Oh my goodness, what a beautiful sunset, God. Oh, the mountains, fantastic. They're God. Oh, the leopard ripping the head off a puppy. It's all nature. It all happens there. Which view is accurate? Nature from a distance is awe-inspiring. Nature up close is savage, and it might very well kill you. When you get close to it, what you notice is that in nature, whatever is bigger just eats whatever is smaller. There's no grace in nature. There's no forgiveness in nature. There's no compassion in nature. These are all true of God, but not revealed through nature. There's a limit to what you can learn through nature. God wanted you to know what He is like so much that He didn't trust us to find it simply on our own. How will you get to know me if I don't come? I must come. I must be among you. He is the God who created all of nature. He's the God who created all that's within you. He's the God who understands our desire to systematize things. He's the, it's the same God who gave a very systematic law to the Old Testament people. That very same God said it's not Enough. I want you to know me, not about me. I want you to know me so I will become one of you so that I might make it clear that I will communicate. I will demonstrate what I am like. What does this mean? It means if you move past Jesus, you're moving away from God. God isn't out there in space, although he's reflected there. God isn't inside us here, although he is reflected here. 
We're all made in the image of God. If you stop short of Jesus, you stop short of knowing God. You stop short of knowing the insights and the complexity, the intricacy and the intimacy of God that will help you in your life. It will help you to understand your life and it will help you to understand what God wants for you in this life, which will bring fulfillment. So try this. This will not hurt you. I promise it will be good for you. Starting now until the end of this series, I'm going to suggest, encourage, I can't compel, um, that you would read the book of Mark. If you've never read one of the Gospels, I'm giving the easy way in. Mark is the shortest, okay? But if we together read the book of Mark, then we can talk about it back and forth. And when you read the book of Mark, what I want you to do is watch for this. Whenever you read a story in there, stop for a moment and say, what does Jesus teach me about the Father? What do we learn about the Father from the Son? Write something down. Look for it. Put it in your notebook. Make a file. Make a note. Talk to someone about it. This is an insight that I got. I saw Jesus do this. I guess that means the Father. What are you learning? What's going to be in there? So we're going to read the Gospel of Mark together. One of the reasons that God came to dwell among us was so that we could know Him. We could watch Jesus and we could know what God would do. We could listen to Jesus and hear what God would say. So we wouldn't be so curious about what he's really like. So if we have the opportunity to pick up a book, to read the accounts of Jesus' life on earth, we can ask the question, what can I learn about the Father from the Son? What a tragedy to miss knowing God like that simply because we were too lazy to read. You're not too busy to read the Gospel of Mark in the next six weeks. You're not. Even if you're on vacation, you're not too busy to do that. It can happen. It's not that long. Busyness will not be the reason that you can't do it. How many years have you had a Bible sitting around somewhere in your house, maybe 13 or 14 of them, with all of this information sitting there on its pages, but that cover is collecting dust? It's all waiting just to be discovered. There are insights about your Heavenly Father, what He's like. They're all just sitting there waiting for you, waiting for us to see them, to be transformed by them, to find hope from them. We've been spending our time looking over in space and in nature and through meditation to try and figure out what God is really like. And the answers are waiting for you in those stories about Jesus. God loves you so much that he couldn't risk you misunderstanding what somebody else said. He said, I want you to meet me. So here I come. I'm going to dwell among you. And he's done that so that you would know what he's really like. And all the things that you've heard, all the things that you thought you've heard, you can edit those down. What is Jesus really like? When I know that, I will know what the Father is really like. Not as a concept, but in a growing relationship. That's my hope for you. That's our goal, that our faith would grow because the God that we know, we know better. And our relationship would grow. We would become tighter with Him. Let's pray. God, thank You that You love us so much 
that you said, I, I got to be right down there. I got I to get in the middle. I got to get in the mix of this. They need to know what I'm like. When, when I leave them alone just by themselves, they just make up rules to make it hard for other people to get to know me. And I know they mean well, but it's just not happening. We've got to fix that problem. We need to be in their midst. Thanks for coming, Jesus. Thanks for giving up all of what it took to come here to live with us so that you would know what it's like for us, but then more importantly, so we could know what God is really like, what God the Father is like. Speak to us, we pray, today, but then as we read as well. You said that your word never returns void, and so I ask as we read it that you would speak to us. Speak to me that you might also then have the freedom to speak through me and we'll make this a better place as we reveal to others what God the Father is really like. Move us forward, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's better when you're here. It's better when we get to be together. So thanks for making it.